1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
0: There's a big learning curve with
1: welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, Freckled Foodie fam. Today's episode is a bit on like normal context, I guess, Um I am moving around our schedule to make sure that this episode is released as quickly as possible because I think it is timely as ever and important as ever and honestly probably the most important episode I've ever recorded and published in the three, four years of podcasting. Um, As you all know, I am very pro-choice and have spoken a lot about the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and the implications it has on me as a female and other people with uteruses and how downright absurd I think this decision was um, and just the terrifying feeling I have of feeling helpless and scared for our future. And I wanted to bring on people with an expertise in this field to share context of What happened, what this actually looks like from a medical standpoint, what our future holds, what we can do, um, really just lay it all out there. And as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, um, my older sister's very good friend since high school, who has been a part of my life since I was, I guess, 11 or 12, is a doctor focused in family planning. And I asked her to come on. And so this episode is with Lonnie Tall and Layla Spung. They are both doctors focused in this field and really, in my opinion, give us a inside look into what the fuck just happened and what we can do and what this implies and what our future looks like and Everything in between. Um, I also got a lot of your listener questions. And so we get to those at the end of the episode. I want to call out that I was having some technical difficulties with Zoom while we were recording this. So the audio quality is not up to my personal standards, which is not ideal. But I think this conversation is so important to have and worth sharing that I am letting my ego go and my like need for perfectionism and doing the best with what we have. So thank you in advance for understanding that. Obviously, this isn't the type of audio quality I want for all episodes in the future. So just please remember that we're trying. It's just sometimes you got to make do with what you have. And this conversation was too important not to have just because our internet connection wasn't perfect. So today's episode I mentioned is different in the sense of I really do this in like a very... Not formal, but interview style where I came up with all of these questions beforehand. It's a little less conversational based just because this topic is so important and I really wanted to make sure we covered everything that I wanted to address and that we felt the three of us was important. So I hope you guys enjoy. I think it's really impactful and an incredible conversation to be had, and I am so grateful that they took time out of their incredibly busy schedules to have this conversation with me and with you guys. So without further ado, here is Lonnie and Layla. Come on in, take a
0: seat.
1: Lonnie and Layla, thank you so much for joining me. This is a topic that I feel passionately about and I really want to discuss and bring to people's attention, but I also wish that it wasn't even something that had to be discussed, if we're being honest. Um, I want to set the stage a little bit and give our listeners like some introduction to who you are, why this is a topic you care so much about, and what you are doing. So... We'll start with Lonnie, and I want to give the subcontext for my listeners because I know I always like to do this. Lonnie is one of my older sister's best friends since ninth grade, so I have known her since I was, what, like, 11?
2: Yeah. The, um, Crazy. The, like, phase of Cammy that you sometimes allude to that you've grown out of, that's the Cami I initially met, and it's been <laughs> really fun to see you blossom into this wonderful young woman. I love you. I'm also a freckled booty fan member since the beginning. I remember (laughs) when you were giving away the little like breakfast cups out of the trunk of the car at the beach. Like I'm, so I'm in the fan.
1: You've been around and yes, you saw me at my worst and bitchiest days. Um, So thank you for still loving me. But Lonnie is also the person that I reference sometimes on my stories when I'm talking about, like I spoke with someone who's involved and this is maybe where we should be donating or anything that I reference, it's always Lonnie's information that I'm sharing. So Lonnie, can you give us your title of what you're doing, your location where you practice and like what area you focus on?
2: Yeah. So I, my story starts in medical school. So I went to medical school, I was an MD PhD student And I wanted to like study some disease and run a lab and become an expert in this. And then in like my third month of medical school, I went to a conference called Medical Students for Choice. And the keynote speech was this really awesome doctor from New York who basically said, if you think it's really important that people have access to abortion care and you think that you could provide it compassionately and safely, then you're obligated to go into this. And it was like a switch was flipped. And so I dropped out of the PhD and I went to OBGYN residency with a plan to do specialty training in contraception and abortion care, which is what I did. So I did after my four years of general OBGYN residency, I did two years of specialty training in St. Louis, which is where I met Layla in what's called complex family planning so it's specialty training in complex contraception and abortion care and i did that in missouri and also practiced in illinois and i was looking for places to work after i finished my fellowship and then rbg died and it sort of became clear that republicans were going to have a chance to pack the court and that roe v wade was going to be you know more perilous than ever so i looked for a job in a blue state where I knew that my ability to continue to provide care was not going to be compromised, but that maybe didn't have all of the services or as robust kind of services as I thought maybe was necessary. And that's what drew me to Western New York. Now I actually get to work with that doctor who gave that keynote speech that ignited my passion to go into this field. And so now I work um, as a general OBGYN. So I take care of pregnant people, um, people with gynecologic issues, uh, deliver babies. And I also do abortions at Planned Parenthood. And for people who need it, I work at the hospital as well. And that is my, uh, my story and how I got to where I am and where I practice and what I do.
1: Well, kudos to you, as I've told you over text message Mm -hmm. many of times over the past few years, especially going through my pregnancy and postpartum, like what you guys are doing is so fucking essential, especially in today's world. So Layla, yes, I curse a lot. uh, I was like, is this family friendly
0: or do I behave myself? We're not family friendly. i down here, so I won't be saying anything, unfortunately, (laughs) even though it's my favorite word.
1: Um, but I, I am just so in awe and grateful that there are people like you guys doing this work. So Leila, what is your kind of story, title, location, and area that you focus on currently?
0: Yeah. So, um, I did my medical school training at Emory in Atlanta and then stayed on to do residency training, um, at Emory as well. in OBGYN, I will say when I went to medical school, I thought I was going to be like, a Doctors Without Borders pediatrician who like took care of kids. And then I did pediatrics and was like, this is terrible. Um, And then did OBGYN and and like the first delivery I ever saw, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And this is what I want to do every day for the rest of my life. Um, And then during residency, really struggled between doing a complex family planning or maternal fetal medicine fellowship. Um, and I ended up landing on maternal field medicine, um, which is high risk obstetrics. Um, so I take care of, to keep it very simplified, sick pregnant people and sick babies. Um, so sick fetuses. Um, and then within that sphere, while I was in Missouri at St. Louis with um, Lonnie, I really found that marrying my two loves between family planning and, um, maternal fetal medicine and doing abortion work was going to be kind of where I lived. Um, and unlike Lonnie, I did not have the foresight to not <laughs> move to a blue state, um, and instead move to a hostile state. I don't, to be fair, I will say when I made this decision, um, I have never practiced anywhere other than a state that is, has restrictions on abortion care. I don't know that I would even know how to do that. Um, And I felt like it was my calling to be in a space where there was no one doing that work. Um, And Dobbs was not on the docket yet. Um, So we had just won like the second whole women's case, um, I felt like we were in a safe space at least for a couple of years. Um, and then Dobbs hit the docket and that's when I saw the writing on the wall, unfortunately. So it's been, um, very challenging as we have like very much fallen in love with where we live. So now I am a full-time maternal fetal medicine physician, um, in Tennessee and I also do traveling abortion work.
1: Okay, I mean, I want to get into all of that of like the states, what it looks like now, because I think there's also just like so much confusion as a non-medical professional of what this actually looks like. But I want to ask quickly, Lonnie, like for people who are listening that might not have any clue like myself, what actually is complex family planning?
2: It's basically just the like academic word for that. I became a subspecialist in abortion care.
1: Okay. And that's what I thought, but I wasn't entirely sure. Um, So, Roe v. Wade, obviously, we've hinted at it. That's what this conversation is focused on. That's why we're having this conversation. I know that you guys are not legal experts. um, So, I want to make that very clear to our listeners. As you know from what they just said, they are doctors in this field. But as people who are directly involved and impacted by what happened, can you explain to us in the most simplistic terms, like what? actually happened last week and like how we got here and you've hinted at you saw it coming but like did you expect it to actually be overturned
0: the floor fell out that's what happened the the floor of the world fell out and now we're dealing with the constant falling feeling a better way? To say yeah, I mean, that. I guess in
2: legal terms, what happened was that the Supreme Court said that Roe v. Wade, which was the law that, or the, the Supreme Court decision that said that there was a constitutional right to privacy, which included the right to access abortion up until the point of viability, was flawed and overturned. And in doing so, they returned that decision to the state's to the democratically elected representatives, which like asterisk, of course, they've gutted democracy and people's ability to vote for elected leaders. So, you know, it's a little bit gaslighting to say that. And this is something that, um, yes, we expected. It was always going to be a huge gut punch. And this has been something that has been in the works for decades with conservatives packing courts and making really strategic moves to ultimately get a majority on the Supreme Court that would make this decision and overrule
0: precedent. Yeah, they have been chipping away at it for, since Roe was put into precedent. Um, Naively, I will say I very much thought that um, because it was constitutionally protected, quote unquote, that that would not happen anytime soon um, prior to this most recent case being heard and the way that the court's makeup um, had changed so significantly. Um, and to be frank with how the last case was determined, even though Chief Justice Roberts sided with the Democratic voting um. Justices, he made it very clear there was a path forward to overturn Roe, Um, but it wasn't the way that they had approached it initially.
1: So I think that I listened to the daily episode. I don't know if you guys listened to that podcast by New York Times, and it was I, I believe it was the day after the overturning, and they spoke with doctors and people who were working in abortion clinics about like what it felt like for them, and I found it incredibly. Powerful to hear firsthand. I would love if you feel comfortable sharing, like what that moment actually looked like for you when news hit. Because for me, yes, the court documents were leaked. Like I don't know what it was, maybe a month ago, a few weeks ago. yeah, yeah, I felt like when they were leaked, it was like, oh, okay. Well, now somehow this isn't going to happen because they've been leaked and people will get on top of it. I don't know. I live in clearly a naive, uneducated world, and then. I was just on my phone at my friend's bachelorette and all of a sudden it felt like to me as someone who was not involved in the sphere of this world, it came out of nowhere, which I know it didn't, but the actual decision felt so sudden, like I didn't even know to expect it. So I would love to hear what you felt when the news actually broke.
2: I mean, I was very well prepared. We really, we, we knew, you know, from Go to Swatch and from people advocates and lobbyists really heavily involved in the legislative side of things that the opinion was likely to come out. Um, There were three different days that they thought the opinion would come out. And I was fully prepared for the draft opinion to hold. And it was still um, like the wind got knocked out of me. I felt nauseated. I definitely had a feeling of like, okay, let's go like it's time like put the pedal to the metal we got to move now but also extremely aware of my privilege as a you know financially independent white woman in a blue state with a good job and good health insurance that this was not about my rights and i lost sleep and i continue to lose sleep thinking about the poor the Brown, Black, and Indigenous people, the people with mental health disorders, the people who are victims of abuse, who don't have these privileges that I have, who will not be able to access abortion, and who are going to continue pregnancies, stay in relationships with abusers, and potentially die because of this decision. And I just feel sickened every time I think of them. So that's where
0: my head and heart has been. Yeah, I mean, I'll say similarly, I... I'm the only provider in the city that I currently live in. So a lot of this has fallen on my shoulders, which I have taken on because it is something that I feel passionately about. But I will say when the leak came out and I felt strongly, we needed to have a plan in place um, and was met with a significant amount of resistance about that. um, Then I was on vacation. Um, When it happened and it came back to my phone and had like 170 text messages um, and emails and everything else and knew immediately that that's what had just happened. Um, and I mostly felt angry because all of a sudden everyone wanted my opinion and my expertise on the turn of a dime. And I was on vacation and um, I was really mad I I remain very angry at the justices for choosing to make a politically motivated decision about healthcare access that in no way, shape or form at all impacts them because they all live in states with expanded access. They all have a significant number of resources if anyone in their sphere ever needed an abortion. One, they would not consider it an abortion. And two, they would be able to get whatever care they need. And instead, they have left the majority of the country in complete and utter chaos and then asked for extra protection to avoid any fallout from this decision that they have made. And it is like the definition of hubris. Not to mention like my fear about people dying has nothing to do with abortions and it has everything to do with people continuing pregnancies they don't want to begin. People are going to die. Our maternal mortality is horrific in this country. And I am terrified as to how many women I'm going to have to watch die or families I'm going to have to tell their sister, wife, partner, friend is never coming home. And they now have this fetus in a NICU that they need to care for because of a decision that a bunch of white people made. (laughs) Yes. And it is infuriating. And I I mean, it's terrifying because if they're going after the right to privacy, I mean, I am a brown woman who passes as white. Um, I am the daughter of an immigrant. I have a lot of privilege because I have embraced my whiteness. I am a physician. I am well-educated. Um, I have an extremely supportive partner, um, and like Lonnie, have all the resources in the world. Thankfully, have completed my reproductive journey, but certainly would be done bearing children if not. And I am also in an interracial marriage. And by them going after this, they could open up the door to negating my marriage. I mean it. The implications of this decision are exceedingly far-reaching. And that is the part that's scariest for me is where are they going to stop?
1: And to echo those emotions, I feel the same way. The fear, like Lonnie, I hold all of these privilege. I'm white. I am heterosexual. My husband is white. I'm not in an interracial marriage. However, this for me has felt like this is just the beginning for these people because I can't. Already, I can't wrap my mind around why they would want, or not why, because I know why, but how they think that this impacts them and why there is a need to control people's bodies in this world. And it freaking scares the shit out of me because, again, like, I just feel like there's so much more now that this has happened that could be done that will continue to set us back. For your guys' work now, like now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, have, what does your work look like? Like, Layla, you're in
0: a restricted state, correct? You're not illegal. Yeah. You're restricted. Well, so we have a, uh, Tennessee has a trigger ban that goes into a which for your listeners, a trigger ban is a complete abortion ban um, that was put on the books. It was like a law that was passed. I can't remember when, several years ago that essentially said if Roe v. Wade was ever overturned, which was the federal protections, then the state would go back to having a complete abortion ban. So within 30 days of that decision, so by August 1st, essentially, um, there will be no access to abortion except for um, from the risk to maternal life. And currently they had also the legislation had also passed something called a cascading ban, essentially saying like if Roe had ever been chipped away at whatever was the lowest gestational age at which there was federal protection would be what that federal what our state gestational age would be at. And so um, it was enjoined for about 72 hours and then the courts let it go into effect. So now there is um, we're calling it a six week ban, but it's essentially a heartbeat ban once there is needle cardiac activity noted on, um, an ultrasound, which usually happens about six weeks of pregnancy, um, then a abortion can no longer be performed and is illegal. Um, and the consequences of that for the provider are a Class C felony, um, jail time and like fines of like over a hundred thousand dollars. Like it's not a small, it's not like a slap what? on the wrist. It's not a lawsuit. Like I could go to jail. And
2: Layla, didn't you have a patient with a lethal phenol anomaly, meaning the baby, it was a desired pregnancy, they wanted to be pregnant, they planned, it was a well-timed pregnancy, um, but had a lethal fetal anomaly, meaning an abnormality, is incompatible with life, there's no way this baby is going to survive, and they had sought your counsel and chosen an abortion, and you had to cancel that?
0: Yeah, so they waited two weeks between, like, their diagnosis to being seen by me, I came back from my vacation and got COVID, SCOTUS had overturned row. And so by the time I actually had the chance to see her, I was like, I anticipate abortion will be illegal within the time frame in which I am no longer infectious and I can no longer take care of you. So you need to go seek care elsewhere. So now not only... <laughs> Am I in the system, but I'm complicit with the systematic trauma of having this patient wait two weeks with a pregnancy inside of her, knowing that that will never result in a living child, which is what she wanted, and now having to tell her, I'm so sorry, but you can't get care at your home, so you have to find that care elsewhere, which usually means an independent abortion clinic, which is wonderful and they provide excellent care. But that also means that that patient is now going to have to walk past a bunch of people feel like it's their right to scream at her that she should save her baby.
1: So I have a few questions where, what, where can she now go to get this abortion? What, what do you mean by like that center? Because isn't that now technically illegal in that state?
2: I'm going to pick up for her while we're waiting for her to come back, but the, um, the reality for this patient now and for millions of pregnancy capable people in the United States is that there's no access to abortion in their community, meaning they have to travel, meaning they incur more costs. It delays their procedure, makes it slightly riskier. Um, And there's a lot of emotional distress that occurs with not being able to access an abortion timely when you've decided that you don't want to be pregnant anymore. And I think something that a lot of us don't realize is that Yes, this is now very clearly the reality for a lot of people. But this actually already was the reality for a lot of people, especially for disenfranchised poor people, people of color. So, where we train abortion clinic in Missouri, where in the entire
0: state, in the entire not state, like, not like in St. Louis,
2: like the whole shebang. Yep. and there was only one hospital that provided. Abortion procedures, so patients were already traveling from all around the state or um, going out of state to access reproductive health care. So that you know, this writing has been on the wall and has been the lived reality of a lot of people for a long time. And now this decision has put it a little bit more into the limelight, and it's true for a lot more people.
0: Yeah, I think the to answer your question, the options right now for patients. in Tennessee are to go out of state. So that would include Georgia, North Carolina, and Illinois, which are the closest to us. But I don't know how long those options are gonna be available, to be quite honest.
1: And I also wanna just say, you mentioned the like six week ban, the heartbeat ban, whatever it's being referred to as. For those people listening who have not gotten pregnant or are not in the stage of planning to get pregnant, this was something I did not know. So I wanna lay it out there. You technically, your pregnancy marking begins the first day of your last cycle. So, say you get pregnant at ovulation and then you miss a period, you're already four weeks pregnant. And then, right, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I'm correct. Okay, you're nodding. So, yes. So, that's four weeks pregnant. If you have a cycle that's not consistent, you might not know you're pregnant until eight to 10 weeks. Like, that's where this blows my mind having gone through a pregnancy and realizing that time age, like I had no idea. And then when I start seeing this, I'm like, I happen to know I was pregnant at week four, right before my missed period, because I had implantation cramps, but that is not the case for many people. Like that's what I think is so, I mean, there's so many things that are messed up, but these people are missing out on the opportunity to even decide. So now that, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. We're seeing a lot of these maps that are like states are illegal, restricted, legal with restrictions and legal. Can you just walk through like what those potential things actually mean? And like, for instance, Missouri, where you guys both were in school is now illegal. Like what if someone illegal is, I've had friends that have (laughs) to have DNCs that are technically marked abortions. Is that technically no longer allowed?
0: So I, this is the biggest problem. A miscarriage in our world is a spontaneous abortion. You go in and the fetus doesn't have a heartbeat anymore is a missed abortion. And miscarriage management is the procedure is the same. It is a procedure that takes place either in an outpatient setting or in the surgical center. And it is the same. And there are certain states that are banning the way that those procedures are done, which is gonna harm people. Um, Miscarriage management is going to be very complex um, in that the number of providers who are available to provide that care is going to reduce, unfortunately, in in restricted states. Um, But if you have a miscarriage, those options are still available to you. It's just gonna be harder to
1: find. What if it's not a miscarriage, but like an ectopic pregnancy? Is that the same thing? Yeah. So
2: most, most states have carved out and said, if the pregnancy is already a demise, meaning there's already no heartbeat or the pregnancy is not in the uterus, meaning an ectopic pregnancy, which is a type of pregnancy that can never go on to produce a healthy baby. And in the meantime, risks the life of the mother. Most states have carved out that you may not end a pregnancy that can otherwise continue, but you can intervene on those. Um, The some states haven't. So Ohio has not. And they have made it harder for patients with um, who are victims of rape and who have ectopic pregnancies to get care. But the biggest problem is that this has sown so much. Discord and mistrust and lack of understanding of these laws among clinicians that people are anecdotally just really nervous about providing regular life-saving health healthcare. So yeah, a lot of these laws in the state level say abortion is legal to save the life of the mother, but kind of. But all what abortion, does that mean?
0: Yeah, I don't know what that anybody? means. Like, how-
2: how close to death does the person have to be for us to actually intervene and end the pregnancy? And, you know, really all abortion is about prioritizing the life of the mother.
0: However, one might. Every abortion her. is life saving. Yeah. Every abortion is life saving.
2: So it, the, that's really the big question right now that unfortunately is already affecting patient care and probably is not going to be sorted out until some cases go to court and some. Um, You know, some people maybe lose their licenses, go to jail or, you know, have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees. I mean, there's just no easy way through the mess that has now been created.
1: Which shouldn't even be, as I'm sure you feel, but like that should not be a fear for a medical professional where time is of the essence in many cases. And I think that's something as a person who's not in the medical field gets overlooked when you're having these conversations with people, like you're forgetting what's now also happening for the doctors. Um, should we, in your personal opinion, be concerned if we're in these blue States, such as New York, Lonnie, like where it's still legal, is this something that we think could eventually be federally banned? Like, I don't even know what the correct terminology is.
2: Um, no, I, I, I think that's not a big concern among legal scholars right now. I guess I'd have to defer to them. But I, um, I, I think states that have the protections written in are pretty
0: safe. Okay. Yeah. I will say Tennessee had a constitutional right to abortion in their state constitution until like 2011. Okay. Well. Yeah, it so no longer exists.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We can never fully feel safe. But
2: this is a great moment to talk about one of the ways that people who aren't clinicians or even don't have a lot of money to donate to abortion funds can be active. Like every single election always mattered. It now matters more than ever. State, local, government, everything. People need to vote in every single election because that's how we get our voices heard and keep the protections that we want or advocate for them where they've been taken away.
0: Everyone, every single election.
1: So this was one of my main questions. Like, I feel so helpless because I feel I'm one person against so many. And maybe you feel the same way, but you all are working in this field where there is somewhat of a direct impact you can have for people who are listening. Like, what the hell should we be doing? Like what is actually helpful versus what is just kind of like checking off a box and
0: moving on? I would say voting is number one most important. Every single election matters, probably more than any of the federal elections. Local and state elections are going to be what drives. In addition, I would just say be kind to everyone. People are on edge. Trauma is like running high. Um, And especially be kind to your doctors, especially those in the OBGYN we're um, a little on edge not to mention we just came off of a two-year pandemic so that's really fun clinics always need escorts if that's something that you're interested in doing you know directly impacting people and that is very demanding um both emotionally and physically um but donating to abortion funds I know Lonnie has a list um that we have both talked about um people are just going to need money
2: and then camp like this. This is amazing, Just talking about abortion, um, destigmatizing it, people telling their stories and just showing that this is really a ubiquitous part of life for people who are able to be pregnant and talking about pregnancy loss and abnormal pregnancies really goes a long way to showing that this type of healthcare really is mainstream healthcare. And so, I mean, all the things that you have been advocating for in the past two months, like donating and talking about it is it, like giving us this platform
1: is great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, every day. I wish there was more I could do. I did ask for some listener questions that I want to just make sure we touch on quickly. Um, One, I'm also curious, why is everyone telling us on social media to delete our fertility tracking apps? And should we actually be doing this?
2: This is a fear around um, some states are trying to restrict the right of people to access abortion in other states or via mail. Uh, And the truth is that legally, we don't know how this is going to play out at all so i think out of an abundance of caution some people are advocating to be really really careful with the data that you might you might not be able to keep private that you put out in the world so i know google just announced that they would delete and not make available information, like location services about people going to abortion clinics, but, you know, there's concern that at some point, if someone is suspected of accessing an abortion, that their information could be requested. So that's where that recommendation is coming from. I'm not sure that anyone actually knows how that's going to play out or what the value of doing that is, but that's where it comes from.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause it does feel like one of those things that like is not fear tactic, but it's like one person posts on Instagram and then it's everywhere. And I mean, I get that people right now are scared and maybe we have to take an abundance of caution, but I just didn't fully understand it on that note. Quickly. I do want to, again, I don't want to put you in a position where you're providing advice. Cause I know you can't do that, but I have heard things about, a company like plan C for people who are in states where abortions are illegal as a potential option. Is that viable?
2: I don't know enough about that to answer that. Sorry.
1: No, that's fine.
2: I mean, I think the bottom line is that, um, the treatment for abortion is the same as the treatment for miscarriage is extremely, extremely safe and can be safely complicated. Home for most people, and how it's important that people know that whether you access those pills or how you get them, a clinician does not need to know about that to take good care of you. But I think the questions around this really get at the fact that we just, the, the Fall of Roe has thrown the medical field, like reproductive healthcare, into chaos, and people don't know what is appropriate or how to get that care. Um, but you know, as far as I know, um, Plan C is up and running.
1: Okay, mm-hmm.
2: and, and I think then- a
0: lot of this is going to depend on what state legislatures uh, do around access to medication abortion, and I don't think any of us really know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Unfortunately. What? But like Lonnie said, you don't owe an explanation to anybody about anything that you do in the privacy of your own home. And everyone should take care of you um, right now, according to HIPAA, which is like a federal protection of your health information. Um, there is no obligation of a provider to speculate or tell law enforcement whether or not they think someone got an abortion now that could change, but right now that is protected. Um, so just people need to be even more aware of themselves and their bodies and advocate for themselves if they feel like the care that they are getting is not adequate.
1: Agreed. How do you think, obviously we can't predict the future. And like you said, even about interracial marriage, this opens up a lot, a lot of people, 99% of the listener questions were, how do you think this is going to impact IVF? And a lot of my community Mm -hmm. is potentially going through their fertility journey, maybe has gone through IVF in the stages of creating embryos and has embryos in these banks. Like, Do we have any insight on what this looks like for that moving forward?
2: We really, really don't. And it's, It's terrible.
1: You know, Layla and I really try
2: to ground what we do in the principles of reproductive justice, which are that people have, should have the right to have families or not have children when they want to, and to be able to parent their children in safe and dignified communities. And Abortion is obviously part of that, but access to reproductive technologies like IVF and IUI is also a part of that and has long probably inappropriately been left out of the debates about reproductive health care. And I think right now is a huge question mark how these decisions are going to affect IVF. And that's awful.
0: Agreed. And those families have already gone through so much and it just feels like insult to injury, especially when so much of IVF was halted during COVID because we just didn't know. And there were so many questions around it. So I, I feel for that community. um, And I'm sorry. It's all yet. It's also
1: to me, mind blowing that we're going to say you have to remain pregnant when you don't want to yet the people who can't get pregnant and desperately want to get pregnant, or if this were to happen, big, if Mm -hmm. um, would be told that they can't. And that's what, Truly reminds me and in my opinion, really confirms that this world is all about the white male, unfortunately.
2: And that it's obviously not about being pro-life and that that's no. a just ridiculous moniker because yeah. it's it, everything that they say is antithetical to that.
1: I mean, I refuse yeah. to even call them pro-life because yeah. if they were pro-life, we'd, they'd be the people that are also voting for gun restriction. Laws Mm -hmm. and they're clearly not. Um, On that note, my last listener question as someone who is pro choice, Mm -hmm. do you find what do you find the most helpful arguments or points to be when you're discussing this topic with someone who is anti choice? Because I'm personally not in the field of conversing with people who are anti choice. There's no one in my life who disagrees with me on this topic, thank God. So I don't find myself. Trying to combat, yes, there are trolls in my DMs, but like to me, these people aren't worth my time. But if someone close in my family felt this way, I would want to try to get through to them, and I would love your guys's input if you find like what you find to be the most helpful way to potentially do that.
2: Oh, it's really really tough.
0: It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, I think as someone who started in a space. Um, where I work now, um, where I've had to really massage those relations, uh, relationships around how people view um, pregnancy and people's choices. Um, it's that I come to every one of those encounters with extreme kindness and compassion towards everyone that I encounter, um, which can be very challenging. But, And I will say, I talked to my therapist about this a lot. And I know Lonnie and I both <laughs> therapy in the next 24 hours, thank God. Um, but it feels, it's really hard to remain kind in um, a space where you feel like you're being attacked constantly. But I, I feel like you almost have to go back to a lot of what like Martin Luther King Jr. had to say and that you just have to continue to be as kind as you can and continue your journey and advocacy in a way that shows them the way they should be acting instead of trying to tell them. And I think the other piece of it is, is, as I also realized with like the COVID pandemic, there are people that you will convince and there are people who will never, ever be convinced. And at some point you just have to decide that that is just not a conversation you're going to have anymore. And there are people in my life that I just don't talk to you about that anymore. Um, There are people in my life who know what I do and we don't, we don't discuss it because it's not worth, heartache. It's not worth the relationship harm. It's just not worth it. And um, you just have to decide how much that's worth it to you and whether this is something that you can no longer have a relationship over. Because sometimes there's no convincing people out of things. If anything, over the last Um, five years people have become even more entrenched in their divisive ideas and there is very little people can do to convince them. We have just gotten so far apart from each other as a country and that is very sad. Um, And I find very little middle ground with people, unfortunately.
2: Um, So I definitely agree that not wasting your breath on people that it's not worth. So good job not engaging with the trolls in your DMs. Um, But having productive conversations with people, I think requires acknowledging that this is a very complex issue, that people have really strong feelings and that I can, I, I, yes, abortion takes a life. I recognize that. And abortion is good. And being able to acknowledge the tension of opposites with people, we can usually come to some common ground and you, you know, I, I try to, sh- to show that I have sensitivity to the loss of that life. Um, I have the advantage of having stories that I can tell, which is a really great way. But different people need different things. And some people need science and facts. And for them, I usually talk about the Turnaway Study, which is an amazing sp- sp- research that was done and it was turned into an amazing book that um, you can listen to on Audible is really well done and incorporates patient stories. But if it's someone who needs more logic, then maybe I'll relate it to people at the end of their life and how we do sometimes take life or end life and we don't consider it murder. And so I think different people need different things and recognizing that it's challenging, it's gray, and that there's competing interests and feelings is helps you have a lot and not yelling because we talk longer when we're not yelling at each other. Mm-hmm.
1: That's very hard for me. Just really quickly, I'll put it in the show notes also, but can you give just like a general overlay context of what the Turnaway study is? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's amazing.
2: So historically, <laughs> when people studied abortion, they compared people who got abortion to people who continued the pregnancy. But that was kind of a false comparison because there's a lot of things that might make someone choose abortion versus choosing to continue the pregnancy. We call those confounders, meaning other things that might impact your outcomes. So what the turnaway study did was they enrolled over a thousand women and it was either people who were ju- who presented to a clinic asking for an abortion and were just under the gestational limit and got their abortion versus people who were just over their limit and were denied an abortion. And it followed these people over many years. Um, And it looked at lots of things like their mental health, their financial welfare, their future pregnancies. And the question that this study was trying to answer was, does abortion hurt women? And they found basically unequivocally that abortion does not hurt women. And in fact, being denied an abortion, people had higher short-term stress. They had higher financial stress. Um, They had different outcomes in their birth. And they were surprised to find this given that they didn't have that many people in the study, but they had multiple people who were denied abortions go on to die. And um, it's just a really scientifically well done study that answers some questions about abortion that were previously unanswered. And even though those of us doing abortion work know that it doesn't hurt women and know actually that denying an abortion is in my, you know, for me, has been some of the worst things I've ever had to do for somebody, um, that, that no abortion doesn't hurt women and denying abortion hurts women. So that's what the yeah. study was. Um, and it's just a great read and it's a chapter that kind of looks at like one thing they found in the study and then a story, uh, that, exemplifies that and talks about like reasons people get an abortion and uh, you know, for example, having a, a bad man in their life. And then it tells the story of a woman who got pregnant by an abuser and saw an abortion for that reason.
1: So. Okay. Well, I will definitely add that to the show notes and also purchase on Audible because I'm very interested. Um, thank you guys so incredibly much for not only the work you're doing, but taking the time to speak with myself and my community. I think This is a topic I know based on my DMs and comments and just conversations I've had with my community that they care deeply about and are very supportive of me discussing further, which I'm forever grateful that I've cultivated a community that cares about this. Um, So I know that this will resonate with them deeply, but on behalf of all of them, I want to thank you for the work you're doing because without people like you, I'd be even more terrified for our future.
2: Thanks, Cam. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to talk. And if people like have follow up questions or you want to do like an ask me anything kind of thing, like we'd be happy to field some of the, you know, more medical questions. And I'll continue to pass on to you. But the National Network of Abortion Funds seems to be a really good clearinghouse um, and vote.
1: Okay. Yes. Thank you guys. Thank you so much, Layla. It was great meeting you, Lonnie. I love you so much. And have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at FF and Friends Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.